Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm now joined by a delirious JJ Bull. Hello. Hello, how are you? What a, what a day, my word. Goals, do you see them all? <laughs> I saw the ball in the net. Yes, yeah. please. How oh. many goals was it? There were, excluding the penalties, there were 14 goals today in two games, something yeah. like that. So yeah. many. Extraordinary. Uh, JJ Bull is, of course, referring to uh, France, Switzerland and Spain, Croatia. Uh, penalties, jeopardy, other things, many goals. Very exciting. And of course, we also want to welcome Sebastian stafford Blore. Hello, Seb. Hello, Joe. You feel anxious still. I feel knackered and anxious yeah. and like... All my muscles are exhausted. Mm-hmm. I've been tense for an hour and a half. When was the last time that you felt like that watching football uh, without teams that you support involved? Uh, probably uh, an hour before this game started when sure. we watched Spain against Croatia. <laughs> <laughs> it really was a big day. And do you know where else it's a big day every day? The Athletic. Because if you visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, you'll find that every day there's something that you desperately want to read, more than you could possibly imagine. And the best thing is that it's all written by some of the best football writers around, isn't it, Seb? Sure is. Got David Ornstein, Amy Lawrence, George Culkin, my personal favourite, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Danny Taylor, Ollie Kay, Michael Cox, Adam Crafton. Yeah. Long old list of I expect Amy writers. Lawrence, who's been covering uh, France, uh, yeah. would be interesting to read Amy tomorrow. Yeah, well, actually, I was, I was also a little disappointed that Holland went out because I've enjoyed uh, Simon Hughes' work. Yeah. It's been very, very good. So, uh, yeah, but there's loads of good writers. And outside of the Euros, the nice thing to say about the Athletic is that there are dedicated uh, team writers uh, for every Premier League team, uh, a handful in the Championship too, and we've got writers who cover both uh, La Liga and Serie A and the Bundesliga too. Uh, James Horncastle, Rafa Honigstein, Dermot Corrigan, the list is almost endless, plus 10 other sports if you like other sports, you know, I don't know why you would, but if you do then there is excellent coverage of all of those teams too. So visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO uh, and you'll find that you can get a 30-day free trial to try out everything I've just said for free. That's You've nothing deal. to lose. Good deal, good, good deal. That. Well, I don't know how we're going to live up today in this podcast to the football that's happened. We're going to do our very best, uh, but goodness me, it was exciting. I'm pleased to be here with you both. Well, okay. That's, that's <laughs> awkward, isn't it? A little silence. Oh, there. lovely. Yeah, lovely. Oh, yeah, thanks. Yeah. Would have meant more if you'd said it four seconds ago, but don't worry, don't worry. Oh, I know you like the space. You kind of like never really leave. They just sure. turn the cameras off. Yeah. We just stay here all the tournament and then, you know. <laughs> Glued to this, our this, desk. This time of day. <laughs> right. Well, that's football. Uh, we'll be back after I leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of football. Okay, where else to begin other than uh, France 3, 3 Switzerland, and uh, 4-5 on penalties. Switzerland, of course, progressing to the quarterfinals to play Spain, I believe. We'll come and talk about that a little bit later on. But uh, I'm not sure where else to begin than with Mbappe, Seb, because uh, I, I feel very, I feel bad for the boy. I feel bad for the boy. I feel conflicted because I thought... When it got to his penalty, I thought, I want you to miss because I want Switzerland to go through because they deserve it and it's a story and it's great. Yeah. And then as he was running up, I kind of changed my mind and thought, no, because you're just going to get pelted with criticism and you don't really deserve it uh, because you've created two wonderful goals in this game and you've been France's route back into yeah. it with Karen Benzema. Well, the memory is going to be that he hasn't scored in the tournament, right? Yeah. And that's the sort of... Yeah. Of course, uh, some of that uh, criticism is reasonable. We can talk about his other performances too, but it does feel... Was he 21 years old? 
something like something that. like that. Something like and you think that. when this is this is one of France's kind of golden generations, it, these things don't last forever. And the memory of going out on his penalty in a tournament where he hasn't scored, you feel like it will be uh, there'll be disproportionate criticism for it. Hey, look, we've all read the uh, Lequipe player ratings the morning after a Champions League game and just how harsh that is. And also, if you're a squad as talented as France, and let, let's be fair, um, France should have won that quite easily. Yeah. The, the tournament, not just the game. Yeah. That is theirs to win. They're, they are much better um, individually. Uh, they're, they're a deeper squad than everybody else. There's not really an excuse for them not winning. That's that's a, To lose to Switzerland in the last 16 is the kind of result that um, if it happened to any big nation, the rest of the world points and laughs because that's the way football works. Um, it's all about schadenfreude. Um, so Kylian Mbappe is going to be front and centre of that. So this big Christmas tree of criticism, he's going to be the, the angel on the top of it, and he's going to be the focus of all that national angst and anger and disappointment. And it's really hard not to feel sorry for someone who's going yeah. to go through that when they're that young. I mean, the issue also, I suppose, is that when you, you know, the natural comparisons for Mbappe of Ronaldo and Messi, right? Yep. I mean, yep. he's kind of considered, uh, him and Holland are now considered in that conversation. And of course, Messi and Ronaldo have had varying degrees of success with their international teams. But you think of those big moments uh, in those campaigns and I'm, you know, with the exception of a, a red card here or there, I'm struggling to remember a time when it's really been so obvious that it was uh, their mistake which ended a run. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like those yeah, comparisons yeah, yeah. will draw to JJ. As in Mbappe's, Error will be the thing that's held up as remembered in this. As in, like, the, it's always felt with Messi and Ronaldo that the teams around them are the thing that's holding their international success back rather than a mistake uh, that they've yes. made individually. And again, like, you know, we can debate how um, how significant that is within the game. As Seb mentioned, Mbappe created those two wonderful goals, and we will come on to talk about those two. But you do feel like this is what he'll be remembered for. Yeah, and it, it, the weird thing as well, you look at how... like. France's tactics tonight are weird. Mm -hmm. um, I think we'll talk about it in a minute. But um, you have Griezmann, Benzema, and Mbappe, and at one point Cohen, all largely playing in the same space at one point. And Mbappe's touches, he's never really getting near where he wants to play. He's always been moving, moving out wide, never gets through the middle. He's not the main man. Like He's played very well at PSG when he's played... He was right wing when he was younger and he seems to move across to the left a lot and he's played as a nine and sometimes I think I've seen him listed as a ten though I haven't yeah. seen him play as that um, under maybe not Pochettino I think it actually was him that's played him there. So like we know how talented he is. I, there's a lot of, obviously I love him back but when he came through when he first broke onto the scene and he was just everywhere he was amazing. I remember at Monaco being like stunned by how good he was. Yeah. But in, this, in the same way weirdly I was when Michael Owen broke through all yeah. that time ago, I remember being like, wow, this guy's amazing because it's blistering pace. But he's got more than that. He's not just pace and um, tricks. Like he's a really genuinely good footballer, great touch, very clever movement. But uh, he doesn't do as much off the ball as I want him to. And I think he can, often one of these players, you see that he'll maybe give the ball away and then look to blame it on something else. Very much, I've talked about this before, very much like me when I die in war zone. <laughs> It's someone else's fault <laughs> and doesn't quite do the work to get back in. Right. Uh, that's probably not fair all the time. I, I, it's easy to say that against players who are forwards. Like, you, you, I mean, like Messi, he walks around a lot and then bursts around. And I think he's got yeah. the license to do it because he's Messi. And Ronaldo can do it because he's a bit older. <laughs> but even when he was at his peak in Real Madrid, there was stories about Jose Mourinho talking to, to him and in the dressing room and Ozil saying like, well, you can't, like he's not doing anything. So you're, the rest of the team's carrying you. It's not that Mbappe's being carried, but when you have 
so many players up front doing similar-ish things. They don't, know, they don't feel as quite tight a unit as they maybe were in the, the World Cup yeah. just before. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Yeah. You'll remember that penalty miss, but I'd say more is the weird way that France got into this game and then the weird things yeah. that happened in it rather than just in yeah, The weird way that they they had the game won and then they kind of lost it again. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was, it was, it, it, we, we were talking about momentum pretty much all day from the moment the football started. And this was another example of it. At, at 3 1, I remember saying to, I think, Joe, this is going to be like five or six. And then somehow, I forget the sequence of events which led to the um, the second Swiss goal. But from that point on, it was like watching a different team. Yeah, it was really strange how fragile France quickly became. And in a way, like when you when you have that situation, when you carry it into penalties, it feels sort of predestined because you think this is how this story has to end. You you get into these situations, you rescue them yourself, and then you throw it away again, and then you end the night with your best young player, probably you know. A sort of becoming a, a victim of the evening. It was like a kind of a, a Greek tragedy of a football game. Yeah. Well, with the caveat of what you've just said about yeah. this game being a lot about momentum and as Alex Stewart would describe, uh, all vibes and no tactics, uh, this is difficult <laughs> I, I to... I don't understand what, what he means when he says that. The, the listeners will, I'm don't worry. Enough. Don't okay. worry, oh, everyone okay. else will understand. Okay. That's fine. You just I just you pretend just to, I nod along and smile when he does yeah, that. Exactly. Okay. that yeah, exactly. And that's the right thing to do. Okay. Uh, but the point I'm making is that sometimes these sorts of games can be kind of difficult to, to analyse, JJ, because there's a there's a lot in the ethereal occurring here. However, we did notice in the in the first half, or at least I was very surprised to see, uh, under the sort of tagline of France messing this up, that they did start by sort of matching Switzerland up, didn't they? That's odd. We talked a lot about the 3-4-3 yesterday. We've been talking about it today because we've made a video about Germany and we're thinking whether or not England will match them up in tomorrow's game. Uh, but France was an example when Alex and I were discussing yesterday, we thought, well, they would never do that because they have all the best players. There are some tactical benefits to playing against a 3-4-3 a three, three with a back four and give the wing back something, something to think about. And with all of France's pace up front, we thought that's what they would do. They didn't do that. And what they did do, they then abandoned about half time, after which it was sort of impossible to understand <laughs> what they were doing, right? Talk me through it. So, it's, yeah, they started with this 3-4-1-2 and I did a lot of... Like looking at a lot of teams before the tournament started, and I don't remember seeing them having done anything like this before recently. I could be wrong, yeah. But um, they have generally played that four-three-three, or most recently, most likely, and most consistently, the four-two-three-one, which is also a four-four-two at times because Griezmann's like a ten. But here they start with a three-four-one-two, which is the same thing that Switzerland do. You know, three centre backs, two wing backs, two midfielders, and then Switzerland have Shakiri playing as the ten. So they do that to get him in the team, yeah. but keeps defensive stability by having three centre-backs. And then uh, Mbappé, who's really good in the right, and he was in, I can't remember who was on the left. Um, I'll remember that in a minute. His name was Zuber on the left. Did, did well enough. And you've got two forwards. Uh, one of the best players of the tournament, Seferovic. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Who would doubt him? I don't know. I mean, mm. I can't see how anyone would. But yeah, no, he's, absolutely he's, amazing. But we'll come on to him later, I'm sure. sure of course we will. Yeah, um, yeah that's, that's the lineup. Then France, you've got... Uh, <laughs> France have got the 3-4-1-2 as well to match it up. But weirdly, in the first half, the, the first thing I noticed was they didn't really have a midfield at all because you essentially had Kante sitting in front of the back three. Um, you had Rabio as a left wing back. Mm. And even when they changed after halftime, they did change to uh, like a four, two, three, one. Actually, it wasn't even a shape. I yeah. didn't know what it was. At most of the time, it looked like a two, four, four. Yeah. It basically it was, had. It was a Jackson Pollock <laughs> formation. 
It's just like, this is the thing, um, like Patrick Vieira and Roy Keane, like Patrick Vieira, who's a very experienced manager and played at the absolute highest level. So I I tend to believe what he says and trust what he says. Mm. Said at halftime that um, it doesn't matter what system you're playing if the players don't turn up. And I completely agree. It's that yeah. um, no tactics, all vibes thing. It's, it's just that France weren't at it. They turned up as though they'd won it. It turned up as though it was going to be easy. They might yeah. take a long time, but eventually they'll break them down. But they didn't play with the energy, the snap. I was going to say snip, the snip snap. They didn't play with the snip snap that they need. Yeah, they didn't play with break. the snip for sure. Well, exactly, and, and not any snap either. And so without that, they weren't <laughs> they weren't as good as needed to be to break down Switzerland, who are a very underestimated team, including by me. <laughs> like they just and me and yeah. you and everyone, right? Probably. They're high rated in the FIFA rankings. Which how can much can you trust that? Sure. They're never very good on like Pro Evo. So are they good? They must be because they do well in these tournaments. <laughs> it's odd. But yeah, and that's the thing. And they changed. And so it, like, it's basically Deschamps seems to, rather than try and be like, well, we're getting done by this channel here. I'll just chuck on these amazing players. So then you've got Coleman on the left. You've got Mbappe, Griezmann and Benzema all trying to get in the same position. Yeah. Griezmann, I don't think he touched the ball in the box. I've got a little touch map up in front of me. Uh, he has like one touch inside the box. Just before the second goal. Is that what it was? Yeah. That, oh, uh, yeah, the little yeah. Yeah, pass. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. A very crucial touch. So they don't all matter. You don't have to. But he's in the peripheral of the game. He's, he's kind of at the periphery. He's kind of floating around the 18-yard box, not really getting into it. And he's good when he's able to do that. That's when he was good in the World Cup, able to influence games that way. Mbappe, he wants to play off. He wants to get in behind a high line. Yeah. Switzerland won't let him do it. So his big threat's kind of negated, but he does a lot of work on the left and he was involved. His lovely dra drag back heel thing to get Griezmann in the first place. Yep. Lovely bit of skill. Um, like, that's the thing. Like, I love him, Bap. He's such a good player. We made goals two and three, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it'd be funny if it's framed to do with him. Anyway, we're not talking about that. Yeah, the shape. And then you've got in the midfield and Kante is kind of holding the whole thing together. Rabiot's meant to be a left back, but at no point is he. He's pretty much just a left winger. Mm. Uh, and his touch map kind of shows that as well. And the right, you've got Pavard, who doesn't really want to get forward much. He doesn't really do that for, for France or really Bayern. He kind of stays closer. Sometimes he gets to the box and shoots. And then Pogba roaming around, also joining the attack. Yeah. So there's not much in the way of, I would say, structure, but it also came directly after to go on the, the momentum and motivation point. As soon as Switzerland missed that penalty, that's when it changed. Yeah. That's when suddenly the energy just came yeah. and they just went at them. Well, they scored two goals in three minutes, didn't they? That's it. And it's just like Switzerland were de deflated by it. I think you could see it. I can't remember which game it was. I could, you could feel the difference after a certain point happening. And you could mm. just feel that Switzerland uh, dropped. They were like drooping there. They were crestfallen there. And then France just took them and like, went yeah. at them from there and got their goals net momentum, and that was the game should have been done. It reminded me of Denmark, Belgium, when Denmark held that lead, and they're all intensity, and they're all sort of um, snapping into tackles and winning second balls and cleaning up on the second phase. And then Belgium equalised, and it was completely different from mm, that point on. Right, That's yeah. what it felt like. That's what I was expecting to see, because you saw like you saw the, the body language of the players, and then um, I'm sure we'll be seeing quite a few pictures of, of Swiss fans over the next couple of days, but you saw the, the cameras panning around and, and sort of... Um, uh, red face paint, you know, draining off faces and, and everyone looking incredibly depressed and shoulders slumped down. And it was like a sort of, it was just like a, an emblem for what had happened, basically. And yeah. that was game over. France going to run up five or six now and that's going to be it. Except it wasn't Except because it wasn't. Switzerland did what Ronan Keating would have wanted, didn't they? They they rode Said the roller coaster, oh, right. yeah? yeah? And let's talk about how they rode the roller coaster. Um, and where better to start, Seb, 
We're yeah. better. To, you know, this people watch this, right? People listen. People Zuba's remember assist. what you say. Zuba's assist. Let's talk about Harris Seferovic, who has now made you look like the silliest man in Britain. Hasn't Three he? times now. Three times. Three times. And twice in excellent fashion today. That first goal, As JJ, I think at the time really you said header. all neck, and that is the best way of describing that goal because it was almost like it wasn't moving. Loads of neck because actually it's not that good a ball. It's a nice, decent ball. It's a lofted floater. It's a percentage mm. cross. Yeah. And uh, Seferovic has to do all the work, put all the pace on the ball. And, and accuracy. And accuracy. I think, um, I think the, when the header goes in, it kisses the post. It, you can't place it better than that. Yeah. It's a brilliant, brilliant perfect, header. Perfect, perfect execution. It's kind of the, it's the opposite of, of his second goal, which was, um, I mean, from that position, you just have to get your head onto it mm-hmm. and it's going in and it's great positioning, good header. But actually, I think the, um, what was impressive is work rate yeah. up front was brilliant. When he came off, he looked absolutely shattered mm-hmm. and he was absolutely terrific. Fair enough. And you're welcome, Switzerland, because I like to feel that, you know, this podcast Again. is... Well Seb, listened to. Uh, taking credit there, uh, I believe you think now that Austria has thanked you, and uh, also now Switzerland has thanked you. JJ, I believe you thought after I have, the, I have uh, the lit second a fire uh, under players and teams this tournament. My criticism has been stinging and well placed, and these are players reacting and responding to it. Sure, you are welcome. Moment of self indulgence over, and we'll go and talk about uh, <laughs> Granite Jacker now, JJ, because Granite Jacker also had a great game, didn't he? He's a player who gets a lot of stick. He sure does. Uh, Granit Today Jack he is, used the stick to to hit the opposition players. I mean, he didn't do that. No. He, was just, he was just good. No, exactly, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah, reminds yeah. me of where I think football would be a lot better if you could tackle people. <laughs> Maybe not with the club. <laughs> Separate point. Xhaka, uh, so yeah, kind of an odd player. I can never figure out if he's very, very good or not. Because mm. he's, he's obviously expensive in the first place when he went to Arsenal. Um, he's always top of things like touches and passes at uh, statistic tables yeah. it doesn't, doesn't mean anything really it's the packing stat isn't it that's what he was that's what made him famous when you packing is basically a measure of how many opponents are taken out of the game by one pass and Jack used to come up right at the top of that table every year in the Bundesliga when he was at Gladbach and that was his thing and it was like this was what happened tonight I mean he first of all defensively like the thing he gets criticized for is bad tackling like making faces being angry being rash and silly he was great tonight, and his passing was his pass for the his pass for the third Swiss goal was brilliant. Watch it again. It's just it takes every French player out of the game. It also it also kind of puts the um, it puts the forward in a position where he the decision about what he's going to do with the ball is kind of made for him because there's only one way to go. There's only one shot to take: touch, hit, and it's all about the pass. It's brilliant, brilliant bit of football. Someone in the chat saying uh, Jacques yellow card means he can't play in the next game. Is that true? I don't know. Listen, there's a lot of things have happened. We have basically <laughs> kept abreast of most of them. If a few sit by, so be it. Yeah. We shall find out tomorrow. Yeah, fine. <laughs> okay, what else have we got to talk about? Let's tell you what, let's talk about those uh, those two French goals when they came back into the game yeah. uh, uh, because they were uh, phenomenal. I mean, do you want to start with, uh, with Benzema? Madness as a touch. Did he mean it? Yeah, yeah, because... Yeah. Look, at, look at his body shape. Look at the way he received the ball. It's like I know he meant to touch it, but did he mean to like put it behind yeah. his standing leg? Yeah, he's, he's got the, that's that's his personality as a player, isn't it? Like sure. you can believe sure. that he would do that. It's like um, it's like the Burkamp goal at Newcastle. It's just outrageously good mm-hmm. to the point where it just yeah. kind of transcends the game. You, you don't sort of think, what does this mean in relation to the game? You just think that is 
absurd. It's like mind-blowingly good bit of football. And it's not that he's lining it up to oh, pull that trick off. It's not like you're going up to someone no. to do a flip-flap. It's just that... It's the most efficient way of doing it. Yeah. And it just looks incredibly stylish and cool as it happens. And it's just... It reminds me of that football. Johan Cruyff... Uh, not a quote, but he was asked, about where did the Cruyff turn come from? It's just, as well, it's just the most natural thing to yeah, do in that yeah, situation yeah, yeah. to get out of it. And it's just the way the balls bounce and he knows he can get it through. It looks like basketball, the way he's managed to drag yeah. it through his legs. It's like a very basketball-y type of trick. It's just also like the finish is underrated as well because yeah. if you or I were in that position and we pulled that off to kind of to extricate ourselves from the defenders, you'd just you'd you'd have the chance, but you'd lose it to your your sense of smugness. Be like, look at what I, look what I just did, and then you slash it over the bar. It's just a really cool composed finish and it's a, it's a shame actually that France are out because it, it means that that moment is kind of lost. I mean, not over time it'll come back and it'll be very prominent, but it's just not the point this evening. And that's a little bit of a shame, I think. Mm, yeah. Um, but it's a, it's just a beautiful, beautiful goal. The chat appears to confirm, by the way, Shaka's absence for the next game. Yellow card against Turkey. That's tough because he, um, that's, yeah, I don't know. Like I'm not a well, fan he, of- Well, he'll be needed against Spain. Yeah, you'd have thought so. Yeah. Tell you what, let's do that now, shall okay, we? Okay, Spain. On. Right. Uh, oh, so, no, I'll tell you what, let's um, do that after we've talked about Spain. Let, I forgot that game happened today yeah, as well, yeah. didn't it? That's, yes, that's, yeah, my mind is, let's have a break. No, no break yet. Okay. We'll have a break after this, though. Okay. JJ, I want to ask you about Paul Pogba, because uh, I would say 99% of the things he did today were amazing, and then 1% of the things he did today was one mistake that led to <laughs> ultimately them losing. Do you know, it's a really, it's really harsh call it mistake as well because the ball comes at him quite quickly and he just isn't quite aware of what's around him and it's almost right. like Switzerland have a trap on him. And you see, if you watch the, the the highlights that I can only find with this goal to watch it back, um, you see that he gets the ball very quickly, controls it, and then he wants to try and move to his left, but there's people that just swoop on him straight away. He can't do anything. Again, very much like in Warzone when I go into a building and suddenly there's <laughs> three guys there. <laughs> It's someone else's fault. It's then often you see what Pogba does. He's like, oh, it wasn't my fault. But um, so you can see what you should have done was been aware of that situation and knocked it away. Maybe knocked it in the air or knocked it yeah. sideways. Like the, If in doubt, kick it out. It's not even that. It's just, uh, I'm trying to think. I, I, I think like Luka Modric in that same situation, this is totally hypothetical. I feel like he would know instantly where that next ball should go. It's when, when, when Modric is in that situation and defenders are kind of pressing him, it's like watching someone try and catch the wind. Just it's just he gets away. <laughs> like yeah. He just you he pirates away. He's such a he's such a neat player. He finds an angle and an outball, and it's it's yeah that is Modric, isn't it? Like uh, yeah, but then again, I feel like I'm really really harsh on Pogba because he's one of the most technically gifted. F f like in that situation, he's one of the ones who can do that. But I think I think I'm being really harsh because it is just the trap that they set on him, and then you see what we're talking about the tactics earlier. There's no midfield, <laughs> so Gandhi's yeah. the only one back behind yeah. him because there's just the midfield too. But really, Pop is like an attacker. So Canty's get the whole of the middle to deal with. And then France start to peel apart. And you see the centre-backs peel apart um, as they track runners. And then Canty has to go towards one of the players. And then the player that would have probably been blocked by a Canty-Pogba double pivot, if they were both in place, he's the one that gets through the middle of them mm. to run through. Which naturally happens when... Like, if, a player falls over, you're suddenly you're down to you're down sure. a man. And you see Pogba's frustrated at the time. He probably knew that maybe that's like a tiny split second where he switched off. But in the last four minutes of the game, of injury time, you, yeah, 
I, I, I would love to have seen what Roy Keane said about it after full time. Yeah. I wonder, I, I mean, I, I think he's entitled to expect a little bit of support. Like it's, there are two conversations here, like mm -hmm. because of what we said about France's midfield and France's general defensive structure. No, he probably shouldn't be trying to do what he does when he has the ball in that position. But at the same time, he shouldn't be punished like that. Yeah, as a result of it, it felt I mean, very. Well, very also, harsh. this is why yeah. in the question, yeah, like, apart that. from yeah. perhaps Benzema, was he not France's best player on the night? I, I like uh, some of the things he did were absolutely astounding. I, as someone that just enjoys watching Paul Pogba, mm -hmm. I don't. I mean, what Manchester United do and what he is to Manchester United, I don't really care for. I don't. Doesn't matter to me. I just like watching the spectacle of him with the ball at his feet. Yeah, because he's so talented. And tonight, it's a shame again. Like like Benzema. There was so much good that Paul Pogba did tonight and there were so many touches where he makes really difficult stuff look super easy. Sure. Uh, and his goal was um, that, what, that we made that kind of weird involuntary noise you do like when you're watching football and something really great happens. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know that. And um, he was just so much fun to watch. And I think when, you know, people, people criticize Pogba before because he plays with a bit of ego. I like that about him. Yeah. I like the way he struts in games because that's kind of, that's the magic in sport. You want players that have self-belief. It's also it's the foundation themselves. for 50% of the good about him as a yeah, player no, too. I'd, like without, without that attitude, he's not that player. No, and not every player has to be a kind of like grinding, grafting um, central midfielder with, yeah. a, a, you know, a shaved head and a big beard. Sure. You know, it doesn't, like it's absolutely fine for players to, to show how gifted they are. I don't I don't know when it was that people decided that wasn't okay. When it was like it was it was a problem for people to I think I associate it with Scott Parker. <laughs> yeah, but Scott as a player who just was diligently professional and always in the place that you wanted him to be and occasionally had a goal in him, uh, but you felt like you could trust him. And every, there was a couple of years yeah. where he was the most celebrated player in some in some weird way in the Premier well, League. Well, he, he was he was the player of the year um, in England when West Ham survived relegation. Yeah, I think. Oh no, when West Ham got relegated, I think. Sure. Sorry. Uh, but I think the point is, is that like, okay, everyone loves Scott Parker, and that's fine. But Scott Parker in in Tottenham's midfield played alongside Luka Modric. Yeah. And the two work together. They're not the same, and one enables the other to play in a certain way, and they 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 have a, a sort of a codependency. Kante and I, I really hate the way Pogba has been treated in England. Like it's sure. such a it's such a privilege to have a, a player of that ability in your own league that you can go and watch and plays in front of you every week. And it's just uh, we've created a conversation around him, which is just I don't know, really tedious. Yeah. And on that as well, like people maybe wonder what, how come he plays so beautifully for France, but Man United he keeps getting things wrong. Whatever. It's a really good Yaya Touré article. Uh, written by Yaya Turi in yes, The Athletic. Yes, it talks about, so the one about bums that Joe's mentioned before. And um, uh, in that, he says that when he went to the Premier League, he realised, so in, in Spain, he said he would have about 10 seconds on the ball in midfield. At the Premier League, he said it would be about three before he gets smashed by a player like Scott Parker. So Pogba can, often can't do the things he needs to be able to do that makes him really special and fun to watch. He just has to do the simple things very well. Yeah. But then where's the fun in that? And it takes all the fun out of life. So let, when he does the fun things, some of them are, are, are amazing. Some of them, he loses the ball in the middle of the pitch and there's an overload in the conceded goals. So you think he's made a mistake. Well, also, if you if you think back to your football watching life. And we should think, have gone for a break, shouldn't we? We should do, but... Let's I, I, go, well, hold on. Let's okay. go for a break and you pick up that train of thought when we're back from the break. Okay. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. 
Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. And we're back from the break. Pick it up. I shout, like, some, at some point, people decided that you know, indulgent moments and decorative like performances are, are a bad thing. If you think back to your football-watching lifespan and you think to beyond like achievements of your own sides, the moments that you remember. So a kind of like a, I don't know, De Canio's volley for West Ham against Wimbledon where he like scissor kicks that, that, um, that goal against Wimbledon. You think, okay, you shouldn't be trying that, but thank goodness you did. And thank goodness you ran the risk of really badly wasting what should be, should, should have been quite an easy sort of like back post header. And it's, it's sport, it's entertainment and it's fun. And it, you want to see people do things that you can't do yourself. And Pogba's one of those. Like he's on one hand, on the one hand, an amazing athlete with this really long stride that can cover the length of a pitch. On the other, uh, just can kill a ball or, you know, put it on a, a sixpence from 50 yards away, do all of these things. And I want to see all of them. And I don't care that there's a little bit of risk involved. And I'm not French and I'm not a Man United fan. So you take all the jeopardy away from that for me. I accept that. But I don't know, like I, I wanted him to be a bit more embraced in England, which he hasn't been. And I, it's a shame. It's such a shame. And the long range goal as well. So the technique on that, something you said, I thought was interesting, Joe, is about how he just did that at Man United and the youth teams quite a lot. Yeah. Um, so the, having the technique to do it, it's a, a thing I noticed in the Premier League, I think this season, that teams take fewer shots. And I went and looked through all the data, like a nerd, and found out that I was, <laughs> I was mostly correct. Like, like a nerd. Like a nerd, yeah. yeah. So um, shots taken from outside the box in the Premier League fell every year from 2013-14. Uh, They've gone down a couple of percentiles. So down from 45% of shots taken being outside of the box in 2013-14 uh, down to 36. Not huge, but it's, it's enough to make it noticeable. Goals scored from outside the box have also dropped, as you'd imagine. And the reason like that probably is, is the rise of managers like... Pep Guardiola, Thomas Tuchel, put them in there, who look for to, to maximise chances to score, to be yeah. efficient with their chances. And we know that um, in terms of expected goals, the, you're going to score most of your goals if you take a shot between the width of the posts yeah. or the six-yard box, as close to the goal as you can. So rather than taking a shot from 25 yards, which has got a very low expected like chance of going in, um, you fumble around until you eventually get the ball in the box and you score. But when you have get players like Pogba who can hit it in, you see that that, that goal almost sealed the game. Yeah. Didn't. But another thing, like Italy the other day, was it 27,000 like yeah. shots or something? And they're all just getting... If the keeper parries one in the way of a striker, like Mbappe, so yeah. someone takes a shot and Mbappe runs onto it, that's the kind of thing you get more goals from. And it's I would like to see more of it because something about international tournaments is that happens a lot more, I think. Yeah. Maybe it's just in my mind, but it definitely no, I, th I think you're way. right. I think it might be the slightly more defensive outlook for most teams, more difficult to break down getting inside of the box, less time to prepare in order to do that. Uh, maybe teams in more 
dire straits, needing to take those chances a bit more, being a little bit more desperate. So, you know, I've always thought that that's where XG falls down, though. One of the one of the areas where it does uh, fall down. It couldn't possibly account for this, but I can't wait for the future when um, players are immortal and they can take shots, infinite number of shots from every position, so that we can see what Pogba's XG from that position would be, as opposed to another player, because. I know it's you know there's a there's a sort of low percentage chance of a goal being scored from that area with the defenders in front of the player as they were, but when it's Paul Pogba, it's not as low, right? I mean that's how it works. So the, the players are all immortal. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I got lost. I don't understand that. I just part. mean you know like the only reason XG works is because you can take <laughs> such a massive uh, sample size. You can take you can take the samples from every player well, over who, infinite who, years. So no, no, I'm just saying like XG working in in to, in this time now where yeah. we exist now. Forget what I said about immortality. <laughs> That's confusing. I understand that. Yeah, yeah. But you know the reason it works is because you have such a large sample sample size because yeah. you're taking samples from all sorts of different players. Yeah. But if you were able to have a big enough sample size to just take samples from one player based on that one player's position. Oh, I see. Like the then, Shakespearean yeah. monkeys typewriter type things. So you exactly, have yeah. enough. Like it doesn't yeah. work now because Paul Pogba hasn't taken enough shots from that it's, it, from that very specific position for us to be able to calculate anything that would be useful to know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if he was a thousand years old, he probably would have done. And then you could tell whether the players having like, playing badly or not because they should have hit that that goal because exactly. they normally do. And I we understand. Get, we it. could get them more. Get them. Got it. Get like the it. footballers. I like it. Speaking of getting the footballers, that's not that doesn't work. Uh, last thing I want to say on this, Seb, I didn't like the camera angle behind the behind the shooters at the penalty shootout. I didn't like it. I do remember it was either the European uh, Europa League or the the Champions League this season. There was one. Penalty shootout. Uh, no, not a penalty shootout. There was one penalty given at some point uh, during a game where the, the main camera angle for the broadcast was from behind the net. And I quite like that yeah. because you got to see uh, from the keeper's perspective. That was more interesting to me. I didn't like the behind. And I felt yeah. like they realised that because they changed it after three penalties to the sort of more normal one. Yeah, that's a good and bad point. Like the, I enjoyed it initially because it felt like I was getting to see how good the penalties were. Yeah, You got to see in real time um, how difficult it must be to save a penalty, but also the accuracy. It's a bit, it's scarier. It is a little bit. Also, I didn't like the way that the netting sort of billowed. <laughs> it was a bit weird. Like a couple of yeah. players found the top corner and it sort of it got caught in the net, like you'd snag yourself in a curtain or something. Like if I trap myself in this, possibly. Um, but then, yeah, go back to the sort of the orthodox normal angle and it feels like, feels a bit more dramatic, feels like the sort of the classic penalty shootout situation. Yeah. I didn't see the behind the um, behind the goal one. So I don't- I really like that. There. But the difference again is it was a one-off and I appreciate what, what you've just said. Absolutely true. Everything you get from seeing from behind, either from behind the, the shooter or football from behind the goalkeeper, there's a, a massive extra layer of, uh, of uh, intensity that comes yeah. with that and yeah, yeah, your yeah. appreciation for the skill level required to score and all of the rest of it, right? But this, I don't have a frame of reference for it. If they'd done that forever, then I, I, I would feel like I would be able to say, well, that was a good penalty or that was a bad penalty. But if I'm not seeing it from the same angle, I feel like I don't know whether it's, it was good or not. We were talking about this because it's the pro Evo FIFA angle. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's yeah, the yeah. one where even as long ago as uh, like international superstar soccer on the, I forget even what that was N64. on. N64. Yeah. On the end. No, actually the Super Nintendo, first of all. Did they have it there? Yeah. They had oh. an ISS 64 on the N64. And that's the first time I saw it with the kind of the big box that you'd move around. And that's, I think, to be honest with you, I, I think it's the way it will go because a lot of people would have grown up with that as the uh, as the angle you associate with penalties. So it's um, 
It's uh, Andy Echo Scott says Mega Drive. I, maybe I didn't play it on the Mega Drive. I was a uh, Super Nintendo in my house. So oh, I love the angle. I thought it was great. Yeah. It looks like you're actually going to take a penalty yourself. Also, centre-backs taking penalties. I loved that. Like it's kind of this, you know, back in the day, if a centre-back took a penalty, you'd, you'd hear the organ yeah. music as they walked from the halfway yeah. line and you'd get that sense of foreboding. <laughs> These guys just whip it up into the top corner. Yeah. It's amazing like how gifted centre-backs are now. They're, they're all good, aren't they? All the yeah. players are good. Uh, two things. I want to ask Seb about uh, the France sleeping thing, but also I feel like we haven't done enough praising of Switzerland, JJ. I want you to praise them more for me now. Uh, how do I praise, praise them? Praise them for me. I think they showed great character <laughs> to get back into the game. Yeah. Um, I don't really know. I, I, I was really impressed with Babu on the right. I thought, he, I read a thing where he says he's basically doing everything to prove Newcastle wrong because he hates them. <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> is the best kind of yeah. fuel for the fire. He I didn't literally say, right? say that, but that's what I've taken from it. Sure. I thought he was excellent. Um, you talked about Jacques already. I don't, they, they were just decent. Like yeah. they were just a decent team. And it's more like, I think France lacked a lot of structure, especially when they started letting in those goals at the end. They, didn't, yeah. they played to a 4-4-2 in the end and then they still had that midfield two of Pogba and Kante, which should be fine because yeah. both are two of the, the better players in the entire world. So together they should be fine. But something just wasn't quite there. I think you nailed it at the beginning though when you said that, and it's a bit of a, um, bit of a cliche, but, but character, because... When France scored those two goals within the space of three minutes, and you know, for a few moments after that, they were still peppering the net, and it felt like, as you said, Seb, this was going to be five or six nil. Yeah, they didn't fall apart. Like they fell apart for about two minutes, and yeah. they were on the edge of going off that cliff, and they pulled it back to win the game. I mean, like that. that, that there are moments in sort of uh, in in sporting games uh, that are absolutely crucial to success, and you feel like that was one of them that they held it together as a team. Uh, to get to the end there. I th- I oh, the, goosebumps, goosebumps. I, I'm I getting the, goosebumps. The four in front of the defence were great. So Vibma, Zuba, Xhaka and um, uh, Freuler. I thought that was, as yeah. a unit, that was great because mm-hmm. I know there were a couple of moments when this didn't kind of hold up and when, obviously, the, the Pogba goal, but they they protected the edge of the box quite well. Um, and whilst sort of France had a lot of the ball around the edges of the box, felt like they didn't create many, many chances centrally. So Jan Sommer, obviously made the crucial penalty save and he made a really good tip over from Benjamin Pavard, um, I think yeah. in the second half or maybe at the beginning of extra time. That's pretty that safe. save at the death of extra time too, where he catches the ball. Yeah. You've got to be a brave We said camera save, didn't we? And then they showed the other angle and you thought that's actually, that's a full stretch. And well, I like the idea that, that. He, by the time his feet have left the ground, he's he has to have decided to catch the ball yeah. because otherwise his hands <laughs> are all in the wrong place. And that is, that's extremely brave. Yeah, and he was he was good, but I Elvidi as well. I don't know much about him, but I thought he played very well. Um, but it was I don't know, like it's it's I, I'm gonna say it. Uh, Seferovic was excellent. He really was. Like I I, st- I still I'm still not buying him as a consistent to be relied upon goal scorer. Sure, but I and it, sometimes when you say a player is hardworking, it feels like a a little bit of a, a backhanded compliment. But genuinely, like I the. If you don't have him at the top of the formation, I think it looks a lot worse. You certainly, in the mm. first half, he scored the goal, put them ahead, yeah, but Switzerland worked incredibly hard to go in ahead. Yeah. Do you know um, really good? I totally forgot. Real Embolo. Yeah. Embolo, yeah, yeah, I should yeah. say. Mm. Like, he was... We like, were talking about him, weren't we? Yeah. I think it was the first game we saw him play and the way he was driving with the ball, he, he just was carries awesome on the pitch. That game. Yeah, it was against Wales, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah, and he's just driving them forward, yards and yards and yards. Progressive carries, I think that's called. 
don't know why I said it in the ISS 64 guy's voice. <laughs> Nigeria with progressive carries. Um, <laughs> uh, so he's he's coming of age or whatever. Yeah. Uh, um, there's a, no, a new a new yeah. number of cliches I could use to say what Mbolo's doing. But yeah, he was great. Um, I just realised as well that as much as I'm praising Babu, we only came in on about the 70th minute as a sub or something like that. Yeah, he made if, such an impact on me. It felt like he, he came on with a brief to be a bit more aggressive. So mm. I feel like that might have been part of, out of the, the momentum change in the game because every time you look up, he was playing at the other side of the, yeah. the halfway line. And um, yeah, I thought it was great. Like it's, um, there's a, an article written by uh, Chris Wolf on The Athletic where he talks about how when he was at Newcastle, they tried to send Kevin and Barbie to Gateshead, which is like a non-league team <laughs> in England, which is just so, so very Newcastle. Hey, you know, when, when someone talks about ISS 64, do you remember the um, little placards you used to see in the crowd which said things like, the best team will win yes. or run fast and win the game? Like it was just felt motivational and pure and good. I think we should bring those to real life football. Yeah. Um, I was also thinking perhaps putting on players like Mbabu later on when they've, you know, they bring new energy to the team is what helped them. Obviously, they've got energy against France who will be tired. He might be slightly more tired. But I can segue neatly onto the, That's very nice. the sleeping thing. Very nice. Um, so there was a story in one of the internets, <laughs> I can't remember which one it is, I'm sorry, that uh, um, France's coaches may be uh, concerned with how the French players stay up basically playing video games and watching Netflix till night because back in the day, you'd make sure that the players aren't allowed to get booze up to their rooms so mm. they can have a party with everyone. But now, And back in the day when you couldn't get booze up to your room, there was nothing to do. Yeah. You just had to go to sleep. Read a book or be friendly with yeah. people. Yeah. God, what a... What a time! Yeah, I prefer different. playing Warzone. So then they can get, get they can play their like uh, on their iPads, their laptops, whatever. We know like um, like Anton Griezmann plays Fortnite a lot. He plays Football, Football Manager, Manager a lot. Not yeah. saying he's one of them, but it could be that they had a uh, you know they're playing games. That's not why they lost. Switzerland were really good. Got to just point out that we will start saying that I'm trying to accuse Football Manager of making them lose. But uh, they had how many more nights of sleep, Switzerland? So uh, Switzerland had three more days of rest than France coming into this game. They had a bigger break. Um, and so compounded by that French sleeping issue, which is, there are stories, it's on um, it's on a site called, let me look it up so people can find it. It's uh, a get very football, long name, isn't it? Getfootballnewsfrance.com. That's the story and uh, that's the, the link you sent me. And so there are reports of, of players being up until four or five in the morning and they've got their tablets and their games and their war zone and their, their fortnight. Um, and it's any time one of these stories comes up, I just think David James, I can't help it. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a mental signpost. It's so when back in the um, the late nineties, David James obviously made quite a few mistakes when he was playing for Liverpool, and he blamed an addiction to what I imagine was a probably PlayStation One game. I can't remember what it was, but he was up all night, and that supposedly contributed to his many, many goalkeeping rickets. That's the end of that. Yeah. That's Jump the end, Joe. And that's the end was. of this section of the podcast. We'll be back shortly after this delightful break. Oh, we have to talk about a whole other game, don't we? And we're back. And now we'd like to talk about another <sighs> incredible game of football. What a game. Croatia 3, 5 Spain. Uh, it had everything, Seb. It had goals. It had own goals. It had everything, Seb. Tell me about what it had. First of all, it had one of the most excruciating own goals I've seen in a really, really long time. Oh, yeah. So the thing I'm most grateful for in this game is that it did not finish 1-0. Because when that happened, yeah, yeah. JJ and I were sat in front of the TV and I had to physically walk away from the television <laughs> yeah. just to distance myself from this kind of this 
toxicity of this awful mistake. I just, I, I don't think it's, it's compassion. I just think it's, it's very difficult to watch another human being suffer through that mm. and to know that by the time he gets back onto the team bus, that's going to be everywhere on the internet. Um, a million people will have sent it to his mother um, and his life is never going to be quite the same afterwards. So brilliant that, well, not that everyone's now going to forget it, but it didn't decide the game. So it had one of those, however we're going to describe that. Yeah, uh, it yeah. had a pretty decent Spanish response to that, which looked like it was very conclusive. Mm. Had some terrible defending from the, the Croatians. Mm. Uh, there was some very strange moments, including like, if we think of fullback stopping playing to have a drink of water and sure that was very odd i still don't quite understand what happened there because a lot of stuff has happened since then there also wasn't much time between the two games because of the extra time in this one uh, too right and it had a great finish well not we had what was originally a great finish and mm. i actually i jumped up in celebration at croatia's equalizer you did and i'm nearly 37 years old and my back has seen better days yeah and i yeah. got quite a lot of height in that celebration so well you done me you were soaring like michael jordan i, I was i was like in space jam <laughs> yeah um and then, or just in basketball. <laughs> and then actually, <laughs> and then it might have had Croatia going ahead uh, in yeah. extra time, but Unai Simon makes a great save and Spain run out and win it. But fabulous entertainment, but in a really irregular way. And before we started recording, we went through the sort of the, um, the running order in our list of talking points and everything's very erratic. Yeah. You know, talk a little bit about Ferran Torres over here and the Spanish centre-backs over there and oh, didn't he play well and wasn't he bad? And isn't it interesting how goalkeeper mentality works and how if you make a mistake, you've kind of got to have very, very short-term memory and forget about everything. Yeah, It's all over the place. Uh, Alex would say it's all vibes. Have I got mm -hmm. that right? I Am think you're using have. that correctly. So you see, it really did have everything. And this brings me to my next question, JJ, almost as though we'd planned it. Uh, because I was going to say to you, it felt a little bit like Croatia created quite a lot of chances without a whole lot of craft. And I wondered, is this, I mean, similarly to the to the France game at times, is this just a sort of momentum thing? Was this just football taking over? Uh, I'm trying to remember the game now. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I, I'll help you remember. Do you remember at the end of it when you thought, oh, well, the next one won't be anywhere near as good as that? I do remember that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, let's, yeah. So, so I thought Spain had total control of the game. Like, and, and the first 15, 20 minutes, and as a, not a trend, but I've noticed it in most games this tournament, the, the better team, uh, there's, a, there's a one really strong team with the first 15 minutes, yeah. and they just kind of, kind of own the game. It's usually the team who's playing at, literally at home in their, yeah. in their home uh, town, country, town country. Now, they're the ones who tend to control it, and I thought Spain had control of that until uh, the Pedro own goal. And as soon as that went in, Spain just, dropped a bit and Croatia were suddenly way, way, way harder to play against. Uh, much snip snappier, uh, far more aggressionist, <laughs> far more aggressive. Oh my God. <laughs> far more aggressive, uh, closer to close everyone down. So suddenly players didn't have, I remember there's like Busquets, this is straight after it, would normally be able to get the ball in the half turn, turn and look, but he was getting snapped before he could even release the ball. They were just on them. And from there, Croatia just sort of got into it and really had, they, they had the game and Spain looked like they were in trouble all of a sudden. So it went from Spain looking like they were going to pummel them to suddenly being all different. No change in tactics, really. There was a small, there's a small, tiny one. As Piliqueta was pushing forward high up the right wing early on, 
uh, like a really advanced fullback. And then they pulled him back. I need to watch again to fully know why, but they made it more of a back three in first phase of build-up. So they had a, rather than a back four becoming a two, it became a three. And that allowed uh, Gaia to get high up the, the left wing. So he gets your width and from other players up the pitch. Now, Modric was far too deep. Um, you might have heard Emma Hayes on Colcoms talking about how he's lower. That he, yeah, She's referring to him being deeper in the midfield and needs to get the ball more higher so that he can influence play. And he was able to do that. And that's when they started to be amazing because Modric was like their, I'd say he's their best player. He's been the best player in the whole tournament. He's phenomenal still. And they mentioned when he went off, it might have been his last game or something like that. There was some sort of mention of that. I, I think maybe there was just speculation based on his yeah. age and uh, their He's likely so exit at that point. He, he looks like he could play forever. Oh man, he was just yeah. superb. And then, like, uh, so what, what happens um, later on in the game? So there's a change for Croatia. I think it's half time. Kramaric comes on for Petkovic. Uh, don't notice, notice a huge difference. But then you've got the 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 goal as Pelicueta scores. Set up by Ferran Torres. Um, I'm just describing things that happened in the game. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. I've become one of them. But I'd, yeah, it's weird. That the tactical setup, like Spain plays 4 3 3 is what they play. Um, Murat is the, 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 the tip of it. You've got Torres, who's sort of a winger, but not. Yeah. I was said to you, I think I've said in the pod before, I'm not really sure exactly what he is. He's had a great tournament. Yeah. Yeah, I was really impressed throughout. With, as much as Modric was great, I think Pedri is outstanding. Well, I'm really? going to ask you about Pedri a little bit later. Okay, well, then but before even... we do that, Seb, I want to ask you about the uh, the sort of Spanish uh, centre back partnership because for all the lucidity going forwards, they weren't. That's not great going backwards just yet, are they? I mean, I know it's a fresh, it's a fresh new thing. Yeah. So we were talking about chemistry before we started recording too, and how that can work sometimes with attacking players feel like defenders need a little bit of understanding. They need to be able mm. to learn how to compensate for each other, need to read each other's movements, they need to know what they have to uh, compensate for and you know where their weaknesses might be. And it was interesting because when, when, when Croatia got their second goal, it felt like they were able to be absolutely in control of the game without doing very, very much. And all of a sudden, uh, Spain looked incredibly vulnerable in those positions. And the equaliser, the 3-3 goal, is a great moment, but that is incredibly soft as a goal to concede. Yeah. At that time in the game, you're you're kind of caught in a transition situation and then you concede an equaliser to a cross which is dropped, I want to say it's almost inside the six-yard box, mm. between your centre-halves. It's rubbish when you're protecting it. <laughs> it just is. That's rubbish. <laughs> That's really bad. And I, um, yeah, I... I it feels like there's no real problem with the individual players. I think Eric Garcia is a good player. I think yeah. uh, Torres is a good player. And I think Laporte has been a good player for quite some time. Not working yet as a combination. And I wonder whether if Spain had lost today, I think uh, Luis Enrique goes home to the Sergio Ramos conversation because yeah. you can you can criticise, you can, you can justify the decision to leave him home on the basis that he's not Spain's future, clearly, because of his age. He is moving to the twilight part of his career. But if you concede too many goals like that and you go out as a result of them, then uh, you are going to have that conversation because he's a veteran. He knows how to win things because he's done a lot of winning of things. Yeah. So uh, work in progress. And I think uh, that will probably be their undoing at this tournament at some point. Well, I mean, they're going to go on to play Switzerland. Uh, you feel like after so watching Sefarovic Switzerland is today. Feast. That's what I mean, though. Like, I feel like now we've seen what Switzerland can really do. Yeah, sure. 
There are opportunities. I mean, like that. I feel like there's been a couple of instances now where it's felt a little bit like games are foregone conclusions because of the the sort of strength uh, uh, imbalances ahead of them. Hey. Today, today's uh, today's uh, game, Switzerland France, obviously being yeah. the main example of that. You wouldn't put it past Switzerland now to to trouble that Spanish back line, would you? No, not at all. And uh, the Jacker absence. If, if they get the ball. If they get the ball. If they get the ball. I think Mbolo can hurt them. I think if they. Uh, produce the same quality of crossing as Croatia did, then I think clearly Seferovic can hurt them. Yeah. Um, and um, Switzerland are really growing on me because we're used to Switzerland being quite dour and quite turgid and, and just very blocky. There's more balance to them this year, isn't definitely, there? Definitely, definitely. I guess definitely. that would that would be my main worry about that game going forwards is that I think we were having this conversation earlier, JJ, that um, France aren't a team that require the ball all the time. They're not really, you know, a straightforward possession-based team. Spain, you were saying earlier... In some, perhaps uh, one way of looking at it is to make up for what might be considered uh, defensive uh, weaknesses or, or, or yeah. unusual dynamics at the moment. One of the things they do to avoid conceding goals is just to not give the ball away ever. And I would worry that without enough chances uh, or enough of the ball, Switzerland might struggle. Yeah, that's exactly it. And it's like their form of defending is by keeping the ball. I mean, it doesn't maybe make a lot of sense, but if you don't give the ball away, they don't have a chance to score against you. And Spain um, have faced 24 shots, including blocks, on goal, which is the second fewest of any team in the tournament so far. The, the, the best record just now is Germany. You've only played three games. So they, they don't give away many shots. Yeah. And when I was going through corners for a thing we're going to be releasing about corners um, soon. I think there was, a, I, I might be wrong again, but I think there was maybe only one corner that I can remember watching them having to defend against. Yeah. They just don't yeah. give the ball away. It's changed today because they, you know, they had a few against them. Um, but yeah, that's how you defend. It's rather than sitting behind the ball and trying to block space and then hit hit them, hit teams in transition and and deny teams the opportunity to shoot by being deep. They just push them high and keep them up. And it might seem like higher risk and it means more energy, but the other teams far. You could argue that if you push high up, then there's so much space between your backline and the goalie that that's your safety net yeah. because you've got to be fast to get behind it. I mean, like we're talking about chemistry, I mean, Laporte's brand new to that squad and Garcia's quite new to professional football, really. Like yeah. he's not played an awful lot. So yeah. um, and Pau Torres comes on and makes that amazing free kick assist for uh, what a ball. Torres. Oh my God, yeah. Mm. Love that. Well, back to today. I mean, central to that uh, possession effort is, of course, Andres Iniesta. Tell me about his performance today. The new Iniesta. Yeah, the new Iniesta. Yeah, uh, Pedri is... One of these players that um, I think one of the most important things in any footballer is to be Iniesta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say something really stupid, but uh, it's I think decision making is one of the most important things. Like Lionel Messi is one of the best is the best player in the world because every decision he makes is the right one, and you'll see certain players always make the right decision. Um, Pedri always seems to do that. Uh, maybe you think his back pass the goalkeeper should have been wide of the goal. I think you're... Did they, so they give him the goal, though? Because I swear when I watched no, the replay that goal, it yeah. touched uh, Simon's face. No, but it was going straight in. Yeah. It was going straight in. I oh. think they corrected that in the end and it's gone down as a Pedrian goal. So just to help me understand, because the ball was already going towards the goal, yeah. even though the goalkeeper touched it, yeah. and he's the same. He's on the same team as the player who kicked it, yeah. it's still not his own goal. It's Pedri's own goal, yeah. It doesn't make any sense. But it's the same the other way around. So if you had a... You had a, a centre forward taking a shot, which went in via a strong hand from the goalkeeper. 
that's not an own goal. Yeah, but that's because the other I, the no, opposition I, I, I un, team. I understand, but it's kind of consistent between the two. I, I, I completely get what you're saying. Sean Pedro. Yeah. It's also definitely his own goal. I mean, I think you are taught not to pass back between the width of the posts in the eventuality that that yeah, happens. But when you're at an international tournament and you, you play for Spain, you think, <laughs> if I pass this t- relatively tame ball back... I mean, he put a bit of snip-snap on it. A bit of snip-snap? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was like... It's kind of ball I would easily miscontrol as an sure. idiot. But yeah. like, uh, this professional goalkeeper, you think, would be able to. Yeah. And then, oh, you've got a good stat about... The goalie? Yeah, so apparently, according to Guillaume Balaguer, uh, he made nine mistakes in La Liga, which led to goals, which is the highest in the division, which is interesting because he's viewed as... I think the sort of the the take on him from Spain seems to be that definitely the goalkeeper of the future, maybe a little bit early for the promotion, and no one really saw the sort of the calamitous loss of form in David De Gea coming, and he's kind of been thrust into a position where either he has to start or Roberto Sanchez, the... Um, the uh, the Brighton goalkeeper would have to start. And he's, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that he's even got, I don't think he's got a competitive cap for Spain. So that would be asking an awful lot of an untried goalkeeper. But it's, um, I don't know, like, weren't you impressed? I mean, if you try and put yourself in the position of, of you know, Simon, that happens. How do you, how do you rebalance? Because that's not a mistake. That's a catastrophe. That's a, the whole world is laughing at me and I'm just standing here by myself. And also alone. you're a goalie, not often involved in play to be like You have a lot of time. time to be thinking yeah. about that and what, what should, I, should I have been doing? Because well, he made some good saves afterwards, didn't he? Well, he made some good saves. What was interesting is the saves are kind of, they're, they're reflex saves. So they're not, they're not taxing his decision-making. I think what impressed me was he kept wanting the ball back to him at his feet. And there was, um, there was a moment right at the beginning of the second half where someone smashed a back pass straight at him. Controlled it really well, played a ball out to... Um, to You'd uh, think twice about doing that, wouldn't you, after what happened? But I think it takes courage to do yeah. that, like because you you wouldn't want the ball. I, I wouldn't. I just, you just Every time I got it, I would I would just be banging it 90 yards up the field. Sure. Just get away from me. I don't want anything to do yeah. with the football. Yeah. Um, but he was really impressive. Mentally, that has got to be really tough. So well done him. Okay. Did you want to say anything more about Pedri? I just love him. I think the, the decisions he makes, the vision he's got to see the passes, his technique seems to be basically perfect. So everything he does is exactly where he wants it to go. Mm. Like we talked about maybe like Phil Foden, like a video game player. You just know everything's going to be perfect. But yeah. And he's such a young fella. He, he yeah. can't, he, he's come from nowhere as well. So obviously like he, he, he's not a La Masia graduate. He was signed from um, uh, Las Palmas, who oh. he played in the Segunda Division. And jumped up. I'd never heard of him until he was wearing a Barcelona shirt, which is really unusual because if you think about the normal passage of Bar- Barcelona players when they're coming through the club, you think, right, well, you know, they get talked about in a kind of Javi uh, Simmons kind of way for a long yeah. time. Yeah. Um, but he's just jumped up from the second division, come to one of the biggest clubs in the world, and all of a sudden he is, it's not unfair. I mean, I know we're yeah. joking, it's not unfair to tag him with that Aniesta brush because um, some of the, his passing is eerily similar. There's yeah. one in the first half that JJ and I were watching where he just cut the defensive line perfectly. Lovely soft touch. Nobody saw it coming. Um, it wasn't a no-look pass, but it might as well have been. There was so much mm. disguise on it. And I forget who had the opportunity as a result, but it's just beautiful football. And he's 18 with a single season of top-flight football as experience. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Alvaro Morata scored a goal. Sure did. Take that, people that were sending him death threats. Yeah, seriously. That's just messed up. Totally messed up. Like, what, what are you doing? Like, abusing a player like that? Why are you? Why are you sort of 
targeting his not you. I'm not saying that you, Joe Devine, sure. were doing that, but to the I think it was to his family. To his family, it's just ridiculous the way that you know, I I've sound old saying this, but how football is now, but it's just sure nonsense. Yeah. The internet's quite scary, but I think football very, also like is, if that's happening, yeah. if that's happening to your family and you're stuck at an international tournament with your teammates and you're yeah. presumably in some kind of COVID situation. You can't go and uh, console whichever family member has suffered this, and it's got to be incredibly upsetting. I'm pretty sure as well. Like I read, I read this the, about it in the, on the BBC, and one of the things that Moretta said was that like it wasn't just on the internet; like people were shouting at his family in the street, like, <laughs> like not even just online. You know, uh, not that just online is a, is a, is a, is fine, but no, um, I, I think face to face is worse. I mean, it's more menacing, and I, you know, I, I, I don't know the first thing about Alvaro Moretta's family, but that's just. It's just horrible. Also read the Benitez thing today as well. Yeah, it was this... Speaking uh, of people who don't know when to stop. Yeah, writing sort of, we know where you live on a big bed sheet and hanging outside. I mean, they said they knew where he lived, but they didn't hang out outside his house. <laughs> it's quite weird. I know there's not a funny situation, but it's it's just, sure. it's kind of like, um, it's it's it captures the nastiness and the idiocy yeah. perfectly, doesn't yeah. it? All wrapped into one. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he did score a goal today. Yeah, he did, and a really, really good one. And just as well that he did because he missed a. Um, he he sort of got t- caught in two minds with a chance in the first half where uh, Cross came over to the back post and he was there. And I don't know whether he was trying to head it back across the goal, but it was a you know golden opportunity. Should have scored, headed it back, and kind of missed it, um, which was kind of strange, but his goal, the goal that he took was absolutely brilliant. It's really nice technique, touch. And some of his touches in open play, I think what gets lost when we when we sort of reduce Murata to whether he takes chances or not is um, he's got brilliant technique. When he's pulling mm. the ball out of the sky or he's touching off to a teammate, I think it's very easy to make, to, to say that these things don't matter because the centre forward needs to score goals, I understand, but you can still appreciate just the craft in his game sure. and the ability that he has. And I thought he was... Um, he wasn't excellent, but he he scored a very very important goal and he played pretty well and yeah, good for him. A, Do you think we'll look back on him like we look back on Emil Heskey, you know, a player at the time where it's diff- it, sometimes it's uh, in the middle of the game, it's harder to see what they offer because they're not scoring goals as a striker, but then retrospectively you look at piece it all together and see what they do for the team. I don't know. I think something else is going on with Heskey. Like I, I think if we look back at that and the way he was treated, I don't think many people can be proud of that. I think um, yeah, sure he was. Um, he was treated really badly. I mean, specifically from a footballing perspective. Though, yeah, like, I know. Be- I know just because his goal-scoring record wasn't brilliant, yeah. but it wasn't always easy to notice what he was doing to aid his goal-scoring partners. I suppose a little bit different for him because Heskey never existed in the um, in the spotlight. He was never he was never England's great hope, was he? He was not in the situation where Morata finds himself now, which is it's almost as if the hopes of his nation in this tournament are on his shoulders because mm. Luis Enrique seemingly isn't going to start Gerard Moreno as a nine, so it's Morata or bust. And that's a, Heskey was never in that situation. He played with Michael Owen. He became sort of, I suppose, in the attacking sense, he was Michael Owen's water carrier to a lot of people. I think mm. it was a lot more than that. I think Emil Heskey had some really good games for England. Uh, but- 5-1. Um, yeah, well taken goal, <laughs> but he, Heskey, I, I, I think I'm- Are you I'm, laughing at me saying 5-1? Yeah. Listen, we haven't got time to talk about England, Germany, and I was really hoping we would, but we've run too long. So all I'll say on it is 5-1. Anyway, let's do points are bad now, because today they are so bad. They are really bad. One of the worst 
uh, days of all time for for, for points. points. So bad. Points are very very bad. Uh, I as as about a hundred people pointed out to me directly on Twitter. I chose a terrible day to predict one nil for both games and to stop <laughs> to stop making large, grand, sweeping predictions of three threes. I told you there's a three three in a mm. tournament somewhere, didn't I? I told you that about a week ago. A tournament always has a three three, and th- today was our three three, Sev. I don't think that's quite the prediction you think it is. Because you're just you're, you're saying a- no. Actually, 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 excuse me. Two things. One. It is a great prediction because Alex Stewart sent us a tweet uh, that said that in the Euros there has only ever been one game uh, in the knockout stages where there was where there were three goals scored from both teams and that was in 1960. Point number two, because I said a tournament always has a three-three, that's the stupid bit because very clearly <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> I think it's instinct. It's instincts that um, allows me to come up with such great calls, which is why yesterday I predicted one nil for both games. Uh, and that leaves me uh, last, tremendously far behind you now, Seb, with 111 points. <clears throat> Seb, you're on 98, so you haven't quite broken your uh, okay. century yet. Okay. okay. But uh, you know, you're getting there. Where's JJ? JJ's still in second place. Um, the gap has widened again to seven points. Mm. Uh, so you know, there's something to play for. Uh, Alex, of course, we mocked him mercilessly yesterday uh, because he kept choosing safe two ones so that he can't very, lose the game. He was game. very Alex Stewart with his He was very Alex was very, Stewart you know, about goals it. Goals yeah. rubbish. Don't, also don't pretending he doesn't care about the yeah, 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 game. Yeah, yeah. He cares. He cares. You know, heart jumping inside. Yeah. He's all happy and yeah. proud. Yeah. If, you could, if you could see underneath that coarse skin, you'd know. He cares deeply. A dark, brooding expression of his. But unfortunately, our merciless mocking uh, worked for him today because uh, it made him choose bigger scores. And of course, that's exactly what happened. So there's a seven-point gap between you and Alex now, JJ. Alex leading the way still on 87. Uh, JJ just but lagging behind there on 94. So, Seb, you've still got a chance to finish second here. Sure do. Yeah. Sure do. I think mine's gone now. To finish second or just to... Your finish at any position other than last is yeah. probably now gone. Uh, but alas, we shall predict for tomorrow anyway. And uh, England, Germany, 5 1. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 5 1. Penalties. An extra time. No, no, no. Just, just 5 1. I will not sully my 5 1 prediction with uh, penalties <laughs> extra time. I don't need extra just, predictions. Just clarify that that's England 5. Oh, that, of course. Come yeah, on. Okay. How dare you even ask me that question? Okay. And for me also, Sweden, Ukraine, pff, don't really care, but it is. Uh, <laughs> it's. Uh, <laughs> 4-0 Sweden. Okay. Now, JJ, I'll come to you. Uh, All-important game first, uh, of course, Sweden-Ukraine. What do you think? 2-1 uh, to Sweden. 2-1 to Sweden. Okay, Seb, what do you think about Sweden? I think 0-0 Sweden win on penalties. Okay. Oh, wait, do we just, know what Alex has picked? I say because I need to beat Alex. We now. don't know his picks uh, yet. And what's going to happen is he's going to listen to your picks, I know, and then he's going to choose I, things based on yeah, what you've yeah, said, yeah. so that you can't catch up with him. Because that's Alex Stewart. It's why we love him, and it's why we really hate him. Uh, are you sure you want to go with that, Seb? Because remember, now you don't have to predict a draw to also predict extra time. I understand. Did you say penalties as well. Yes. So I you think it'll go to penalties? I do. Why don't you predict one team to win? Because uh, that would be better. No, I'm you're spreading fine. here. No. No, you're committing. I've got conviction. Okay, fine. Uh, JJ, England, Germany, please. England, nil. Germany, nil. Germany to win on penalties. 
Okay. My, Again, actually. are you sure you want to predict the score draw as well as penalties? Yeah. Germany are going to win in penalties against England. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, there we go. Seb? 3-1 uh, Germany. <sighs> like a dagger in my heart. I feel like there are mind games, and I'm picking my scores sort of have to annoy you, have to beat <laughs> Alex. <laughs> I, don't, I want to win. I think Re- the, reason uh, can reason I say, four seems to be because you think that's what's going to happen. <laughs> JJ, I don't know. I think let, let me, let me give anymore. you this, JJ. There's a nice piece of advice for points are bad. Okay, yeah. five one, crazy score. Nil nil, crazy score. Because how often is it nil nil? Not that often, right? Even just one one is better than nil nil. Because if it's nil nil, then you you only add two points. If it's two one, you're adding three all of a sudden with your nil nil. Not a sensible selection. Yeah. I'll give you the option to change it if you want. Penalties, Germany, no, no. <laughs> okay, wow, two people here predicting Germany are going to win. Yeah. I'm curious to see if we can get any sort of sense from the chat of uh, if anybody thinks England have a chance. I think I, I think England have a chance. I just think Germany will win. I think, just I think because Germany have three more chances than England. Yeah, I just think I think there's something in, in the English psychology about facing Germany. I think that's what will decide the game. It's also quite nice, like, genuinely, I, I don't... It's quite funny to say that it's it England to lose me ever. 14 like, 3 says <laughs> <laughs> Living in England as not an England supporter, um, it's quite nice when like the pubs are filled and everyone's really excited for it. It's quite a nice atmosphere. But there's always a bit. In fact, no, I'm not going to continue with that because we're like. You, got, you, you, you can't win if you finish that sentence. Uh, no, I'm not going to finish it. Just tap out. I, just tap yeah, out. I, I am all for England winning, genuinely. I got, my family is all English. I even from Scotland. So. I like this one. Ash uh, says uh, England 3-1 Foden score and assist. Yes, please. Okay, listen. We'll be back tomorrow to discuss this. It was a long old show, wasn't it? But uh, what a big day of football it was. And thanks to everybody uh, for joining us today. We certainly had fun. Sure did. Loads of fun today. The other thing I was saying to Craig on the way downstairs earlier that uh, on the one hand, it's lovely when days like this happen. And on the other hand, it's kind of... Uh, uh, sad because uh, you know that this was the best one. <laughs> That's it now. Like the tournament will be fun after this, but there won't be a day that was better than this day, right? I think they're all going to be better. I'm optimistic for the well, future. Hopeful. Yeah. I mean, it, it, nil nil <laughs> Germany England. <laughs> yeah, great. Thanks. Okay, well, JJ Bull, uh, the bullet. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and uh, Seb Sefaplor, thank you very much also. Thank you, Joey Devine. Thanks to the chat for joining us today. We'll be back tomorrow to cover all the games as discussed. And of course, as usual, thank you to our crack production team of Don and Craig. And uh, there's Craig's thumb there. Lovely thumb. It's a lovely <laughs> thumb. Au revoir. Bienvenue. And uh, goodbye. Goodbye. Hello. Goodbye. Goodbye.